Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, so we're jumping back into the Gospel of John. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know our setting. We're in the upper room. Jesus uh, is, is with his disciples. Uh, there are 11 of them now because Judas has left the room. And Jesus is preparing them for what's to come. Now, we've been in this text now for several weeks, so it feels like a long time. But everything we've done, all of the, the teaching we've done on John's gospel has taken place on Thursday night of the narrative. So I want to help you jump into the room. I want to help you be there emotionally so you can kind of grasp what's happening. It's Thursday night. Jesus is on death row. He's going to be executed the next day. He's going to die tomorrow. He's going to die horribly. He's just going to go through the most awful ordeal a person can go through. And that's coming for him like the very next day. So the last night he has with his disciples, he's trying to say goodbye. He's trying to prepare them for what's to come. This is like you can read these scriptures and say, oh, Jesus said this, then Jesus said this, then Jesus says this. And because it's hard to lift emotion and tone from dry print, you could read this stuff dry and miss it. This is an incredibly emotional moment for Jesus. He's trying to say goodbye. He's trying to tell his, his followers, his, his brothers, these guys are his friends. He's trying to explain to them the dynamics of the Trinity. And he's doing that because it's important. As, as we've, we've spoken about over the last couple of weeks, when we open the scriptures, we find that God reveals himself to us. He shows himself to us. And as he does that, God reveals himself to us in three distinct persons, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is saying to his followers now is, look, I know you guys are bummed. I know you're freaking out. I know you're just, just, you're just all twisted up because I'm leaving. And that's, what do you mean you're leaving? You can't leave. Don't leave. What happens to us if you leave? You can't, like, if they're just focused. They don't even care where he's going. They just care that he's leaving. And Jesus is effectively trying to say to them, you guys don't understand. I know you're freaked out. I know you're scared. But where I am now, I can only hang with like 11 of you at a time. Interpersonal dynamics dictate that I can only be with a small group of you at a time. And even within this small group, none of you seem to be able to have enough time with me. What's going to happen is this. When I go, the advocate will come. The counselor will come. The Holy Spirit will come to dwell within you. And that was a new concept. Up until this point in history, the Holy Spirit was an external entity. You went to synagogue to encounter God's Spirit. You went to temple to encounter God's Spirit. The Spirit of God would dwell in with and amongst His people at specific times as they went on their journeys and did their things. The idea that God's spirit would come to live in a person's heart was new. So he's like, I know you're freaked out that I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell within you. And it's going to be way better and you're going to love it. But, and he continues, and this is kind of where, this is where we, we left things off last week. 
Righteousness is available. Do you guys remember us talking about this last week? Does anybody remember anything from last week? Wow, guys. So righteousness, he says, is available because I go to the Father. I know you're freaked. I know you're bummed. Righteousness is available. This too is a new concept. Uh, landing on their ears for the first time. Righteousness standing with God. Righteous standing with God is now not a matter of the tribe to which you were born. It's not a matter of your family, your parentage, your history, your ancestry, your bloodline. Righteous standing is now not a matter of what you achieve. One is not deemed righteous based on how many good deeds they've done or how much money they've given to the church or, or how much scripture they've memorized or how they have fasted or how holy they are or how many little old ladies they've helped across the street with their groceries. This has nothing to do with righteousness. Jesus is saying righteousness is available because I go to the Father. Righteousness now is being redefined. Righteousness now is a matter of what you believe. Do you believe that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paid for your sins? Do you believe that when you confess your sins to God in the here and now, that he lifts your guilt up off of you and he places it onto the shoulders of his son, Jesus Christ? Then righteous standing is yours with God, not because of how holy you are, but because of how holy he is. Because he's, he's made it available to you broken, messed up, jacked up people like you and me. And if you're new to our church, welcome to the church of the broken, messed up, jacked up people. That's us. Led, led by the most messed up, broken, jacked up pastor you're ever going to... Never Okay, so, like, so righteousness is available. And then he says to them... In this life, and pay attention, don't sleep on this. In this life, you will have trouble. There will be sorrows. It's going to hurt. What comes next is going to hurt. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have sorrow. These things are promised to you. This is not, there is nothing in the text that implies Jesus going, Hey guys, the next 40 hours, or, no, next 48 hours are going to be really tough. Just stay in your lane. By Sunday morning, everything's going to be perfect. And from then on, your life's going to be a bowl of cherries. Nothing in the text implies that. No, he's telling them ongoing, you're going to have trials. You're going to have sorrows. This is going to be difficult. But be steadfast. Stay, do stay in your lane. Put your faith in me because I have overcome the world. And if you can, and if you will, there will be a resultant thing. There will be something evident in you. Something will come up out of you. Something will flow out of you to the world around you. And it's called joy. Joy that doesn't make sense. Joy that transcends your circumstances. You'll have joy even when things are difficult because you'll have perspective. You'll know that this world is not your home. You'll know that there's something else waiting for you. You'll know that you are a citizen of a place. There's a whole nother way of thinking about the world and he's trying to help them understand that. Here at this point in the scripture, he stops talking to them and he turns his eyes to heaven and he begins to pray. This is the top of John chapter 17. John 17, verse 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you've given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you've given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Okay, so if you come to church here a lot, you're going to hear us talk about honoring God. One of the things we teach just on the regular, we have a part to play in God's amazing story. Turning to God means leaving behind your lead role in the teeny, teeny little story of you. Most people are living their lives as if they are the lead role in the story of them. It's the me show starring me. Following God means you leave behind your lead role in your little story and you pick up a supporting role in a vast, amazing story. That looks different for each one of us, but there are three things in common for all of us to practice. Honor God, love others, serve all. It starts with honor God because there is a theme in the Bible. There are many themes in the Bible, but there's one ultimate theme, one theme that is above all other themes, one theme that runs from the first page of Genesis to the final page of Revelation, and that theme is the glory of God. The scriptures are the story of how amazing he is. It's his story, and he has given us a part to play in it. So Jesus is now, that's why what you're, this is what you're hearing on the lips of Jesus. He's done talking to his disciples. He now talks to God. I brought you glory here on earth. I want to bring you glory again in heaven. Return me to, do you see how often he used the word glory in that passage? Return me now to the glory we shared before the world began. I mean, he is hearkening back to the incomprehensible dynamics of the Trinity from before the world began. He's going, yeah, I remember. I remember the days. I remember how it worked before you created the heavens and the earth, before the water found its boundaries, before you made the spheres, before you created the circadian rhythms of the solar system. I coexisted with you, Father, in heaven. And this is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, self combusting, blazing away for all eternity, glorifying himself before the earth was even a thing. And Jesus is saying, I can't wait to come home. I miss it. I miss being with you. I can't wait to be with you again in the glory we shared before the world began. And now we hearken back to Bethlehem. We hearken back to the manger when, when the second person of the Trinity enters this world in this barn full of filth and excrement and all of the things that come with a life here on earth. He's at the end of it now. And he says, I can't wait to come home. Can you hear the longing in the text? Next verse. I have revealed you, right? He reveals himself to us. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. 
Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it. And know that I came from you. And they believe you sent me. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me. God reveals himself to us. So here's, here's our teaching point from this text. It is always God who initiates with us. God initiates with us. God walks across the dance floor, holds his hand out to us and says, I'm inviting you in. Let's dance. You've been sitting there by yourself doing your own dance by yourself. You're just sitting there doing the Carlton, you know, like doing your thing. And you look stupid. Come with me. That's, that's your story. That's the big story of you. And that's as good as it's ever going to get. You just doing your thing. Don't do that. Come dance with me. Come be a part of my story. God initiates with us. You're here because God initiated with you. I don't mean you're on this world. I mean you're in this room. You're not here by accident. You're here because God brought you to this moment. The Holy Spirit is knocking. Here's another couple of words from the Apostle John. Book of Revelation chapter 3. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I stand at the door and I knock. Some of you, you're here. Listen, there's two, two kinds of people in this room. People for whom the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart and people for whom the Holy Spirit wants to dwell in your heart. Some of you have done business with God. You've invited him into your life and you've said, I don't, I don't want to live in the me show anymore. I don't want to live the, I don't want to live as the lead role in my tiny little story. I'm tired of just dancing by myself in this thing. I want to play a part in your vast, amazing story. So I'm turning from my sins and I'm going to, I'm going to be righteous now, not because I'm some superhuman, wonderful person. I'm going to be righteous now because you say that I am when you forgive me of my sins. And now I'm going to respond to that forgiveness by honoring you and loving others and serving the world around me and living an outward bound life. Some of you have done that. Others of you are just, you're not sure. Like you're, you're you got your, you know, you're, you're looking in the doorway and you're like, I don't know about this. Some of these guys are weird, you know. I had a bad experience with some Christians early in my life. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm ready to dive into this swimming pool yet. I get it. Don't, don't, don't sleep on this, though. The Holy Spirit is knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He knocks. It's up to you to invite him in. You get to decide that. God gave us free. That's free will in action right there. God gave us free will. Yes? That's a yes. Thank you. That's a yes. That was a good yes. Yes. Okay, so. God gave us free will. He, he didn't have to. He could have just made us automatons. He could have just said, love me, period. And that would have been it. He could have done that. He didn't want that. He wanted us to be able to decide. He wanted us to be able to choose. So he doesn't say, behold, I stand at the door and kick the door down. He doesn't say, behold, I stand at the door and I pound on it. He doesn't say, behold, I stand at the door and pick the lock. I hide under the couch just like you do in real life when somebody knocks on your door. 
But this is God going, it's not the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not the Mormons. It's not your pesky neighbor. I want to come in. If you invite me in, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. God initiates with you. And you have the opportunity now to invite him into your life. You don't have to. You get to. He's he's calling you. You hear him. I know you do. Because you come here. You're not even sure if you believe. But you come here week after week. And you sense him in the worship. Before I even say a word. Before whoever is teaching gets up to say a word. Whoever it is on our teaching team that's up that day. Before anybody even says a word. You sense God's presence in the worship. You sense his presence in the music. It happens to some of you. Every week I see you, you come out of the room and like you're crying and you don't even know why. You sense God's presence and you're like, you come out of the room, you're like, what's wrong with me? And you're like, it's hilarious because it's not hilarious. It's awesome, but it is hilarious. But it's, it's awesome. And you know why that is? Because God, it says in, in, in the book of Isaiah, God inhabits the praises of his people. He lives within the praises of his people. So the worship, yeah, the worship is like a trap door. The worship is like this secret entrance into God's presence. We don't have a good vocabulary for it. We don't quite know how to say it. But these every week, like they don't have a bad week. Every week, they just lead us into God's presence. And I don't even have to, I I, I don't even have to, I'm not going to quit. He's, dude is relentless. You're here, you think, oh, God's calling me, you know, maybe I'll, like, God is not going to leave you alone on this. You mean an awful lot to him. You mean so much to him. He cares for you so deeply. That's why he initiates. It's why Jesus is doing all this. It's why all of this is happening. So you get to, today, invite him in. Won't you? It's so easy. Just confess your sins and put your faith in him. Believe that your sins are forgiven because of the work he did on the cross. Oh, you'll never regret it. Next verse. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you've given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you've given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world, they're staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united, just as we are. Okay, let's jump back into the room, can we? Let's get back to the room. What are the dynamics like in the room right now? Some of you, uh, if you if you don't hang around church a lot or you don't hang around Christian people a lot, uh, sometimes when Christians pray, they'll pray in a group. And praying out loud will be really weird for you if you're not used to it. But there are some, there's like a code of etiquette. There's like, so, you know, some, some, some unwritten rules for believers that you'll come across in your life if you, if you hang around long enough. If somebody prays, Etiquette dictates that if somebody's praying, generally everyone, if there's a little circle, everyone bows their head and kind of closes their eyes and folds their hands and, 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 and kind of agrees in prayer with the person who's praying. Or at the very least, you just kind of bow your head and close your eyes and stand there. But if you're among the more spiritual of us, you know, you'll sort of murmur a affirming sound. 
you know, sometimes, well, if somebody's praying, they'll go, mm, yes, mm, amen, mm, oh, yeah. And they'll, they'll say stuff like that. And I know if you're, it's cool, it's fine. We all do it. It's just weird. Like, you don't realize, if you're a Christian, you don't realize how weird that is to somebody who's never been to church. If you've never been to church, that's the weirdest thing you ever saw in your life. But that's how Christians do. Christians are weird. That's how it goes. That's true. You know it's true, right? Jesus is praying right now. What are the other 11 doing? It doesn't say. It doesn't tell us. But I have a thought. I don't think their heads are bowed. I don't think their eyes are closed. I don't think their hands are folded. I don't think they're going, "Mm, yes, Father. mm." I think there's 11 people going. Like they're watching him. They're witnessing this holy moment. He's praying. He's praying out loud. He doesn't have to pray out loud. You don't have to pray out loud. You've known that since you were a child. Yeah, buddy. That was the greatest interruption by a little kid in the history of my preaching career. Ever. If you're listening to the audio, this kid in the audience just said, thank you, God, at the exact right moment. Yeah. That dude's going to be a preacher someday. Okay, so. They're watching him. They're watching him. They're, they're just, they can't believe he's talking to the Father. He doesn't have to, to pray out loud. He's praying out loud so that they can hear him. And they're watching. And, and, and what does he pray? He says, Father, what I want for them. This is the 11 that started the church. These dudes connect with a guy named Paul later on. And the 12 of them start the church. Like we're here because of the work they did thousands of years ago. We are all descended from them spiritually. And what he's praying, what Jesus prays to the Father in this moment, he doesn't go, God, I just pray for great theology. I pray that they vote properly. I pray that they get it all right. I pray that they're just, they they understand all the details of of this, this, that, and the other. Jesus prays, may they be united as we are, as the first person of the Trinity is united to the second person of the Trinity, may my followers be united. May these guys have unity. Now, as you traverse the earth and observe things, to your eyes, are Christians known primarily for their unity and their love for one another? Or are they more known for their politics and for who they hate? I'll forgive that awkward silence because we all know the answer, right? We have a part to play in that. We're called to unity. And part of the problem, and this is big, so don't, don't sleep on this either. We get a little confused between what it means to be right and what it means to be righteous. We get it confused. We're still thinking, some of us, that righteousness comes from being right. Righteousness doesn't come from being right, does it? 
No. Righteousness is available because he went to the cross. Righteousness is available because our sins are forgiven in him. It's no longer a matter of being right. It used to be. It used to be a matter of being right. I live right. I do right. I am right. And if you were like me, you'd be right. But you're not like me, so you're wrong. And that renders you unrighteous. I'm righteous. You're not because I'm right and you're not. People don't vocalize that, but that is exactly how Christians tend to treat people who don't think like them, don't vote like them, don't act like them, or on some other side of the track than them. This should not be. We're called to unity, to love one another, to know that being right doesn't make you righteous. Oh, there's plenty of people who are right and are unrighteous. Believe me. Being right doesn't make you righteous. Often being right seems to make you a bully. There's no place for that in the body of Christ. There's no place for that among followers of Jesus. You and me, the broken, the messed up, the jacked up, saved by grace alone. We don't get to judge another or look down on someone else or think them unrighteous because they don't vote like you or act like you or think like you on some front. So I have to ask today as we wrap this up, are you willing to play your part on that front? Are you willing to show unity, to love, to really love those, not just to tolerate, not just to uh, accept that they're okay, but I mean, are you willing and are you capable of loving someone who doesn't think like you, act like you, vote like you, or maybe differs with you on some significant point of theology? Last week, I didn't say this in any of the first two services, but I feel compelled Last week, we talked a little bit about, uh, I may not include this in the audio. Alan, mark where I am right now. I may not, I may edit this out. Last week, we talked a little bit about the difference between our faith and Catholicism. You guys are forgiven by Jesus, but some of you are Catholic like me. You grew up Catholic, and so there are some differences. And right after church, some dude comes up to me in the hallway and and, and picks a fight with me over whether or not Catholics are going to get to go to heaven. And it was so hard to love that dude. I was just, all I wanted to do was just like, oh, there are so many, you, you ever have a situation where like you think of all the good things to say after? I thought of so many good things to say to that dude over the week. Some of them can't be repeated here. Okay, so, but I, it just made me angry and I was like, and ultimately I had to go, okay, This person and I differ over a significant point of theology. I now have the opportunity to to think of myself as right and righteous and to think of him as wrong and unrighteous. Or I can say, we're all messed up. We're all saved by grace. Even if I disagree with him, I'm going to love this person, not just tolerate presence, but really love this person and hope that we can come to an agreement someday to just agree to disagree and still still be cool because... That's what it's supposed to be. Even if somebody really ticks you off, like, that's where it's supposed to come to. I am not there yet. I'm trying. Let's try together, okay? We're we're not done. We're going to pick this right up from here next Sunday. With that, we'll close in prayer. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to learn 
And we thank you for righteousness being available to us. That, that we don't have to earn it, work our way into it, and achieve it by our own sweat and effort. But that we simply put our faith in you for the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we've all confused being right with being righteous. Can you help us to walk in humility? Can you help us to remember that we're all saved by grace? Can you remind us daily that there are going to be people we disagree with, but we're still called to love one another and to operate in unity? Can, we, can you help each of us to play the part you gave us to, to play in the prayer you prayed on your last night on earth? This death row prayer from the Son of God. Help us to honor this, Father, and to walk in unity even if we disagree with one another. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.